Do you get interested in mysteries? Maybe crime novels or thrillers, whodunits? What about historical mysteries? Long lost cities or artifacts? What about a good puzzle or a riddle that you have to try and work out what it means? Something that you don't understand that sounds a bit strange or a bit puzzling. But when you work it out, or maybe when the person tells you the answer, or you get to the end of the documentary, all the clues, all the hints, all the bits of evidence suddenly fall into place and they all make sense. You get that aha moment, don't you? And it kind of tickles some little bit of your brain. I don't know which bit it is. When you know what the mystery is, it all makes sense. Well, in today's passage in Ephesians, Paul talks about an ancient mystery, something that was hidden, something that was uncertain about. Verse 9 from a passage described it as being kept for ages past, hidden in God. Verse 4 says that has something to do with Christ. Verse 3, Paul declares that the mystery has been made known to him. The plot thickens, the intrigue deepens. What is this mystery? Well, if you're reading to James, or sorry, if you're listening to James as he read our passage from Ephesians earlier, you'll actually already know what the mystery is. Uh, But if you're daydreaming, or if you're distracted by something, uh, maybe even your phone, don't worry, we're about to find out. But before we do, I just want to remind us where we're up to. You see, in September, we started a new sermon series here in the book of Ephesians. Um, If you want to follow along, we're on page 1174 of the Church Bibles. Do grab one from the pews in front of you. 1174. It's a letter to Ephesus and to the people um, there. And it's one of the letters written by the Apostle Paul. They make up the New Testament. And it's written to a young church, and it was to be shared, this letter, with other churches in the area. And Paul's been reminding them of the wonder, the delight, the truth of the gospel, the good news of what it means to trust in Jesus. And in chapter one, we've seen how people, how Christians, people who trust in Jesus, are spiritually united with Christ. It talks about Christians being in Christ and he being in them, in Christ, united with Christ. And being in Christ, well, that means means that some huge changes occur when someone becomes a Christian believer. And chapter two talked about two of those changes. The first is this, the first is that we are made alive. You see, Ephesians chapter two says that Without Jesus, we're dead, spiritually dead. And dead people can't do anything. We've got no hope without Jesus. We can't save ourselves. We can't solve the biggest problem that we've got. But if we're in Jesus, then we have life. And if we're in Jesus, we've got life because Jesus has life, because he's been raised from the dead. So if he's got life and we're in him, we have his life. You see, we need Jesus to make us alive. Or to use Jesus' phrase from John chapter 3, we need to be born again. 
all of us need Jesus. Without him, we can't do anything. We're dead. But with him, then we can have life, life to the full, if we're in Jesus. That's the first thing, being dead and being brought to life. And the second thing about being in Christ is related to others. Chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brought near. But brought near to whom? Well, verse 12. Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. See, just as we were dead before Jesus, so we were excluded before Jesus. We were separate. We were foreigners. We weren't part of God's people. So it used to be a case of us and them. But the problem is we were the them. We weren't the us. We were on the outside because we weren't Jews. We weren't God's people. We were excluded. But now, because we're in Jesus, well, now something wonderful happens. Verse 14, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and are also members of his household. See, because we're in Christ, then we're united with everyone else who is in Christ. If these people are in Christ and these people are in Christ, together we're in Christ. You see, rather than being excluded, now it's possible to be included in Jesus. So Jewish believers who trust in Jesus and Gentile believers, people who aren't Jewish, who trust in Jesus, all of us are included. All of us are in, they're in, we're in, all of us together because of Jesus. Okay, so that's the context, that's the kind of the recap from the past few weeks. What about this mystery in chapter 3? Now, I said that we've already heard it. In fact, if you've been listening to me explain chapter 1 and chapter 2, you already know what the mystery is. It's there in chapter 2 and it's stated in chapter 3. What is it again? If you've got your Bibles open, look down at chapter 3 and verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of, his, of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. See, this is the mystery Gentiles, people who aren't Jewish, which is probably all of us, we can become God's people. Now, I'm aware that some of you might be thinking, of course I'm one of God's people. I'm English. But that's not how it works. You see, up until 2,000 years ago, you had to be a Jew to be part of God's people. You had to keep the law. It was even worse for men because we had to have a bit of our anatomy snipped off. You had to join them to become God's people. 
But when Jesus came, when he died and when he rose again, a way was made for everyone to be included, Jewish and Gentile. A way was made for us. What did it say in verse 6? For us to be heirs together with Israel, for us to be members of one body, for us to be sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Together. Heirs together. Members together. Sharers together. You see, the story of the Bible, Old and New Testament, isn't that the Jews were plan A and, well, they messed it up, so now we're on to plan B. That's not what happened. We're still on plan A. God's plan was that it was going to be Jews, they would be first, and then the Gentiles would be included in afterwards. That's always been God's plan, and that's why Jesus is Jewish. Now, at this stage, you might be wondering, well, why is it called a mystery? We've known about this for 2,000 years. It's pretty obvious. If anything, it was probably a bit of an anticlimax when we read verse 6. Well, we need to cast our minds back, back to 2,000 years ago. See, Paul writes this in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 3. He says, from explaining what he's just said in chapter 2, he says, in reading this, chapter 2, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and to prophets. You see, before Jesus, this mystery wasn't known. Nobody knew about it. Nobody knew what God's plan A would fully involve. In fact, many years after Jesus, people still didn't know about it. People, some people still didn't understand him. Paul himself, who was writing these very words, he used to be a zealous Jew. He used to go around persecuting Christians who he saw as heretics. And by persecuting, he used to kill them. They were executed. He killed Christians. He was there when the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was stoned to death. So what happened? What changed? Well, Paul explains in verses 7 and 8. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Paul met Jesus. And Jesus was gracious to him. Just think how gracious he was. Paul used to kill Jesus' followers. But Jesus showed him love, turned his life completely around, poured out his grace on him, forgave him, and gave him a new purpose to tell the Gentiles that they are included. The very opposite of what Paul originally did. You see, everyone is invited now. Jesus has made a way for us to be heirs together with Christ, for us to be members together of one body, for us to be sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus. 
And the reason that this is a mystery is because none of us could have dreamt it up. You see, there are hints of what God was going to do in the Old Testament, but none of us could have worked it out. In this sense, this mystery is not like a crime thriller. You know when you read a whodunit, there's clues all the way through. And when you read the book a second time or watch the film a second time, it all makes sense. And it's really obvious when you know how it's going to end. It's a bit different with the gospel. None of us could have worked it out before Jesus revealed it by his prophets and apostles. When we look back, we can see the hints, but none of us could have worked it out. You see, verse 5, it says, It was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Yes, there were hints, but it wasn't revealed fully. And I want to point out something important here. Do you see how God revealed this mystery? Verse 5 again. Sorry, verse 6. No, verse 5. The end of verse 5. As it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. God revealed it by the Spirit to the apostles and to the prophets. You see, there are things God has revealed to his people, things we can't work out or dream up, things we can only know by God revealing them to us. And how does he reveal them? He reveals them via his apostles and prophets. In fact, verse 20 of the previous chapter says a similar thing. It talks about the good news, how we can be included that being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ as the head cornerstone. You see, the church, it's built on the apostles and the prophets, what they teach us, what they've told us, what they've written down in God's word for us. As Christians, we read the apostles and the prophets. We read what they've written in the Bible. That's where the Bible comes from. In fact, the longer version of the creed that we say at the 8.30 service talks about the worldwide church being one holy, catholic and apostolic church. It's built on the foundation of the apostles. God's revealed his plan to those messengers of Jesus. That's where we find out what God is like. That's where we find out how he works. That's where we find out what God likes. We don't dream it up. It's a mystery to us without God. God reveals it to us in his word. You see, cults occur when churches turn away from apostolic teaching, when they ignore God's messengers, when they twist the Bible. So may that never happen to us. When we read the Bible, may we always take God at his word. You see, God's word is full of wonderful good news. Just think of what we've learned the past few weeks. Without reading God's word, we'd not realise that although we were once dead, we can be made alive. Without God's word, we'd not realise that although we're excluded, we can be included. Because of what Jesus has done, because of God's mystery, it's been finally revealed. Because of that, now we're invited Every Jew is invited 
every non-Jew is invited, none of us will be turned away. Anyone who turns to Jesus will be forgiven. See, over the years, I've met Christians from Jewish backgrounds. I've also met Christians from Muslim backgrounds, from Hindu backgrounds, from Buddhist backgrounds, atheist backgrounds. I've met Christians who've come out of cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. I've met Christians who are young and old, rich and poor, educated and those with special needs. Everyone is invited. When I was um, with Operation Mobilization, they were a Christian missionary organization. I spent um, the best part of a year with them. And over that time, I worked, with, I worked alongside people from about 40 different nations, people from every continent. There were brothers and sisters from so many different cultures, so many obvious differences. Difficulties communicating at times, sometimes. But with all these Christian brothers and sisters, there was a bond that I can't easily explain. Even with people I hardly knew, or had only met earlier that day, there was a link, there was a connection, there was an understanding. We could pray for each other as if we'd known each other for decades. There was an honesty, there was a lack of pride, a closeness, a love, an understanding. Between me and other Christians from completely different walks of life, completely different parts of the globe, there was a deep bond that we experienced, a love that went beyond mere friendship. And it was because we were all in Christ, all united by him. Verse 12 says that in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. You see, those people that I met, all of us were people who experienced the truth of that verse. We could approach God with freedom, with confidence. And that impacted how we related to each other. Actually, more than that, it changed how we were related to each other. We were all included in Christ together. We were united because of Christ. And I should add that that's been my experience over the past 20 years since that time in churches that I've been part of. I've met Christians who were fleeing persecution from Iran and with them seeing that bond, them praying for me and me praying for them. It's wonderful. I don't quite know how to explain it other than saying it was a delight. It is a delight. But I also want to say that if you don't know this bond, God wants you to know it. Come to God through faith in Jesus. Ask him to forgive you, to welcome you into his family. You can ask that with confidence. You can come before him with complete confidence knowing that he will answer that prayer. You see, if you're not in Jesus, you're missing out. But the wonderful news is that you're invited. Everyone is invited. And if you are in Jesus, and have maybe caught a glimpse of that bond with other Christians, well, keep spending time with other Christians. 
Prioritise coming to church on a Sunday. God wants us to meet with other Christians for our good, for our encouragement. We can't do it alone. So don't neglect that. And also on a Sunday when we spend most of our time in the service looking forward, don't rush off afterwards. Catch up with each other before the service. Catch up with people over tea and coffee afterwards. And in a congregation of this size, it can be a bit daunting getting to know other people. It can be hard sometimes after a service, maybe if your mobility isn't good or if you're trying to keep an eye on the children. Why don't you join a home group? It's a great way to meet with maybe eight or so other Christians during the week, to catch up with each other, to chat about a bit of the Bible, to pray for each other, to share life together, to feel that bond at work. You see, God wants our church to grow closer together. And he doesn't just want it to be socially, he wants it to be spiritually as well. Now, very briefly, um, as we finish, I'm aware that we've got all of chapter three. You'll be relieved to know that I'm not going to spend as much time in the second half. But just very briefly, let's look at Paul's prayer that he therefore prays to these people. You see, in verse 16, he says a wonderful thing. At the top of page 1175, he says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Ask God to strengthen us, so that Christ may dwell in us. Remember, us in him, he in us, united with Christ. And then he continues, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have part, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Do you see how he prays? He doesn't pray for us individually. He prays that together we may grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. It's something that we can't do on our own. Do you want to know how much God loves you? Well, we need each other supporting us encouraging us. We need each other to be relying on each other as we do this, not going it alone. Together we can discover how much God loves us. And then there's that little paradox at the start of verse 19. He prays, um, I'll start from verse 18, may you have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Sounds a bit strange. To know something that surpasses knowledge. Sounds by definition unknowable, doesn't it? How can you know something that's beyond knowledge, that surpasses knowledge? We know it by experiencing it. Now, I could get into trouble for describing her this way. Um, but my wife surpasses knowledge. She's currently in Sunday school, so I've got a few moments to explain what I mean before you report me to her. Um, you see, there are many things about my wife that I do know, but there are many things about my wife that I will never know. 
I'll never know her every thought. I'll never know what she thinks about every topic. I'll never know where she is every moment of every day, all the people that she chats to and bumps into. You see, factually, on a purely factual basis, I'll never know everything about my wife. But in the experiential sense, I do know my wife. I know her. We know each other because we spend time together. We live in the same house together. In fact, there's things about my wife I probably wish she didn't know about me. We know each other. We know what it's like to relate to each other. We know each other in that sense. See, God's love is beyond knowledge in as much as we'll never be able to describe it fully, how wonderful it is. There's always going to be something more, something better to experience or to find out. It's wider than we know. It's longer than we know. It's higher than we know. It's deeper than we know. We can never get our heads around who God is, how much he loves us and what he's done for us. But that's not to say we can't experience it. And the best way to experience God's love is together, with one another. Do you remember what it said in verse 6? We're heirs together. We're members together. We're sharers together. So that's my great prayer for the, us, this church, here at St. Luke's. We're already together. We already experience these things. But if it's beyond knowledge, if it's beyond understanding, there's so much more for us to experience together as we grow closer to God together. It's my prayer that we'll be growing closer to God together. On that wonderful note, Paul finishes with these words. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have made this mystery known. That because of Jesus, we are included. We're not excluded anymore. Because of Jesus, we're made alive. We're not dead anymore. Thank you, Lord, so much for that. And thank you, Lord, that because of Jesus, we're included together. Even with people we wouldn't naturally get on with even with people we can't even communicate with. If we love you, if we trust your son, we're included with everyone else who loves and trusts your son as well. So Father, we pray that you would be at work in our church, that you would be drawing all of us closer to your son. If we don't yet know him, that we'd be drawn to him. And if we do already know your son, if we are already following him, that we'd be drawn closer to him, that we would know these things by faith, that we would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love, that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we would experience it together. 
So, Father, we ask and pray that you would be drawing us together as a church. And not just in this church here, but also, Father, with other churches who love and follow your Son, Jesus Christ. So we pray this for his glory. Amen.